You're listening to Down to a Science, a LANL podcast series. This morning, millions across the Pacific Northwest struggling to find relief from the heat. Records, some more than a century old, shattering as temperatures soar 30 degrees above average from Oregon to Washington. Right now, about 100 wildfires are burning across 14 western states hit by sweltering drought conditions. Torrential rain has also devastated parts of Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg. This is climate change. Temperatures around the world are rising. We're seeing more intense heat waves and wildfires. Droughts are lasting longer. Ice sheets are melting, sea levels are rising, and coastlines are eroding. These are just some of the stories we read on a daily basis, and there are more and more of them every day. Climate change is one of the most challenging problems society has ever faced. Fortunately, we have the science to help us understand what we can do to fight back. Welcome to Climatology, the podcast on all things climate science at Los Alamos. I'm Lexi Petronas from the Los Alamos National Laboratory Public Affairs Office. Over the next few months, we'll be talking to experts at the laboratory who are tackling some of the most pressing challenges climate change presents. Today, we're exploring an issue some may not associate with climate change, the transmission of infectious diseases. Dengue fever, malaria, West Nile, and other diseases are impacted by climate change and environmental change. Climate change and environmental change in general is impacting um, disease risk and especially um, emerging diseases and those that are caused by, vectored by um, uh, mosquitoes and, and ticks and, and other important uh, arthropod vectors. That's Andrew Bartlow, a research scientist in the Biosecurity and Public Health Group at Los Alamos National Laboratory. He works on biosurveillance projects around the world and studies how environmental change and ecological disruption to biodiversity influences disease dynamics in communities. Warmer climates, warmer temperatures increase their range of these um, these vectors and uh, people are more at risk as mosquitoes and then the pathogens that they carry with them as they increase. Um, in terms of environmental change, uh, which also includes climate change, but other things like land use change and um, uh, more specifically like drought and other things, it's going to have a big impact as well. Um, and as the environment changes and as humans encroach into wildlife habitat, um, that's a really big um, problem. And that's when you get these new interactions and viruses being transmitted among a lot of different um, species, and that's can obviously increase the risk to, to humans. So, Andrew, what is biodiversity? And could you talk a little bit about how it relates to disease spread and zoonotic disease spread in particular? Yeah, so biodiversity is a, a, a term that describes the number and composition of, of, um, of species of life in a given area, whether that's in uh, Los Alamos or whether it's in North America, uh, you can define biodiversity in, in many different types of regions. Biodiversity is, is really important from a, a disease perspective, um, especially, the, especially zoonotic diseases, which are those diseases transmitted from animals to humans. And, and also humans can also transmit uh, diseases back to animals, and those are called um, reverse zoonosis, and that is starting to gain attention as well as, as an important component of the transmission cycles. But 
uh, zoonotic diseases come from animals and uh, biodiversity, it can really impact what's out there, what animals have, and what humans are likely being exposed to or could be exposed to uh, in the future. And so uh, places with high biodiversity um, or low biodiversity uh, can impact whether there's increased or decreased risk of diseases to humans. While many animals are capable of transmitting diseases to humans, birds are one of the more common hosts. Think of the various strains of bird flus over the years. Migratory birds fly long distances and can introduce avian diseases to new areas. Jean Fair is a scientist at Los Alamos who focuses on epidemiology and animal disease ecology. Avian zoonotic diseases are zoonotic, meaning that they're both in humans and in animals. And when we think about pathogens of pandemic potential, we usually think about influenzas or coronaviruses. There are a few others out there that might be, but those are the two main categories of viruses that we think of when we worry about a pandemic. And so we really didn't know, was it going to be an influenza or was it going to be a coronavirus that really became the first most current global pandemic. Uh, and so it turned out that coronaviruses was the, the first to really uh, break free from that. Uh, and coronaviruses are more in the bats um, as well as some other animals. But getting back to influenza, influenzas are naturally occurring in all wild bird populations and also in our poultry populations. And when we think of influenzas, we think of either highly pathogenic influenzas. So these are influenzas that cause mortality in birds, or we just think of the normal circulating influenzas that they get. Right now, there are, boy, almost eight different strains of highly pathogenic influenzas that are circulating the world right now. And so we've known since the bird flu uh, outbreak that happened in China in uh, in uh, poultry populations and in wild geese, actually, that, you know, influenzas could be the next pandemic. With that, though, we know that there's still that probability out there. So it, we like to often say it's not if, it's when. When will this happen? So there's this interface between the wild bird populations where these avian influenzas are circulating all the time. Uh, often, most of the time, they don't really cause a problem with birds. They mostly are transmitted in the Arctic region, so during the breeding season. So juvenile waterfowl and ducks and geese will get the influenzas when they're, when they're after they um, are nestlings, and then they'll sort of clear the infections before migration. But that's, that sometimes is different depending on if they get a highly pathogenic strain pop up uh, and the two ways that we know that that can happen is mutation, which we've seen in the new variants of coronavirus. The same thing happens in influenza or if they get an, a reassortment. So you can get two influenzas uh, that get together and can reassort together. Uh, and then to get to humans, it could then get into our poultry populations and then into our like our pig populations. And so many people call pigs like a mixing vessel. And the reason is, is that they can get both the types of influenzas that humans get and the avian influenzas. And so if you get a pig that gets both, you'll be more, have a higher probability of getting a reassortment event. 
And I know there are efforts to track these diseases, like the Avian Zoonotic Disease Network. Could you tell us more about that? So the Avian Zoonotic Disease Network is a new science network. And the idea is to link researchers and diagnostic laboratories um, around the world. Um, It's starting with a few countries where these countries will work together to do biosurveillance in wild bird populations. Uh, This area that they're going to focus on is the Mediterranean and Black Sea. In this, we have the countries of Jordan, Georgia, and the Ukraine. And with this, they'll work together so that they'll learn techniques. Um, They already are established diagnostic laboratories. um, But the piece that Los Alamos brings is that they're also going to be bringing the sequencing capabilities. And so with the current pandemic, we all now can see why why sequencing is so important for biosurveillance. We can now, we all understand now how uh, a, a virus mutates and why it's important to see how those strains and actually look at the, the genome and how that's changing with the viruses. Mosquitoes are another common host of zoonotic diseases and in fact are the deadliest animal on the planet. It's estimated that one million people worldwide die from mosquito-borne diseases every year. Jean, what are some of the diseases that we have seen jump from birds to mosquitoes to humans? So one of the best examples uh, is West Nile virus. So when West Nile virus hit the east coast of the United States and North America, it was really in the birds. And so we started seeing the corvids, which are the jays and the and the crows and the and the magpies, they started dying from West Nile. And then shortly thereafter, we started seeing human cases of that. And so West Nile virus is a great example of a zoonotic disease where it's actually affecting both the humans and the animals at the same time. Sometimes they can affect animals and then mutate to be more transmissible within humans. But West Nile is a great example of that. And of course, we know that the the vector for that is the mosquito. And so with that, we could see, you know, with all the different species that it was affecting, there was also species it didn't affect. So if we think about a chickadee or a warbler, West Nile didn't affect them. And so that led us into asking, well, why is it that some species are impacted by West Nile virus and some species aren't? Um, we really don't have the, a, a clear answer to that quite yet. That takes uh, decades of study, uh, but we still know that, that, that with diseases uh, carried by mosquitoes, that they're greatly impacted by weather, by environmental conditions, um, and then overall by climate. And so we know that that these mosquitoes that carry West Nile virus or other viruses such as dengue or even malaria, that those, those mosquitoes are able to overwinter more in North America because of a warmer winter time. And they're also here longer. And so we can see that that we can predict that with these viruses that are carried by these mosquito vectors, so we're gonna see more and more of them, both in our animal populations and then in our human populations. With that information in mind, it would be helpful to know when and where there might be increased mosquito populations caused by changes in climate and environment. 
We've put a lot of effort lately into trying to understand how mosquito populations are changing in space and time. And it's surprisingly difficult to capture their fluctuations because they depend on so many different things like precipitation and water, temperature, um, the habitat that's around. So we realized that a big piece of understanding mosquito-borne diseases is being able to capture how mosquitoes are actually um, changing in time and space. Carrie Manor is a research scientist at Los Alamos who builds mathematical models of infectious disease spread. These models could help inform communities about when to take extra precautions if there's an increased risk of catching a mosquito-borne disease. Carrie, how are we seeing climate change impact mosquitoes? So climate change has kind of varied impact on mosquito populations. And that's something we're still trying to figure out because the other thing that I learned um, and didn't realize when I was a kid, for example, is that there are a lot of different species of mosquitoes and they all respond differently to um, weather and humans. So the answer is it's complicated, but in general, mosquitoes like it better when it's wet and warm. Um, So obviously we're seeing changes in their ranges. They're able to move further north or to higher elevations in general because of climate change. Carrie is also building new models that could predict changes in wildlife habitats due to climate change. I'm really excited about the new project that we're doing um, because it's in collaboration with all the neat people that we need to have together to make um, an ambitious model of how climate change is impacting mosquito-borne diseases. So we have folks in ecology, Um, in biology, in earth system sciences, in math and computer science and statistics and hydrology so that we can bring together all those factors that impact um, how mosquitoes live and grow and how their populations change, but also how the host species, which could be humans or animals or wildlife, Um, also interact with the mosquitoes and how those habitats are changing through time. So we're using all this information about wildlife, climate, human infrastructure, where humans are and how they're moving to put together a big model to really understand um, how a lot of different factors are impacting mosquito-borne diseases in the future. So the big goal for our models is to be able to understand how climate change will be impacting mosquito-borne disease range and risk through time. Uh, But the approach that we're taking is a little different because we really want to address those what-if scenarios. And what I mean by that is, what happens if we spray for mosquitoes more? Will that help? What happens if we change the wetlands and include more wetlands close to our cities? Will that help? Or should we move them farther away? What happens if we release mosquitoes that can't spread the viruses? Will they be able to kind of take over and replace the original mosquitoes? So we can answer those questions about how we can impact this change in risk um, and hopefully mitigate it. And to do this, we really have to include those underlying mechanisms and factors that are driving the change in mosquitoes, like um, their egg laying rates, the development of their larvae, how long the lifespan of the adult mosquitoes is. Um, the female mosquitoes are the only ones that bite. So we also have to understand um, how, what their egg laying cycle is and how that's impacted by temperature. So our models are including all those kind of really specific underlying factors so that we can answer those what if scenarios about the future. Understanding changes in habitats due to climate change is vital information needed in efforts to minimize infectious disease spread. 
After all, everything in the climate is connected, and changes in one area can have a rippling effect into other areas. Because everything is linked, researchers are looking to address these issues with the One Health concept in mind. The One Health concept is really important for disease uh, mitigation, and so the the goals of the One Health concept is to um, you know, have the best disease outcomes for um, everybody. And so, a, a key component of the One Health concept is. Uh, to, in order to achieve these best health outcomes, we need to have healthy people, healthy animals, and a healthy environment. And um, doing all of these things, uh, you know, having a healthy environment in terms of uh, not destroying habitats and, and um, you know, trying to reduce the impacts of climate change and, and uh, trying to uh, keep biodiversity as high as possible and to conserve species. Um, that's really important for the uh, disease transmission between um, animals, so we need healthy animals, and, and then ultimately um, the environment and the animals uh, impact humans as well. So we need healthy animals, healthy people, and a healthy environment. That's it for this episode of Climatology. Tune in next time to hear more about the climate science done at Los Alamos. Climatology is produced by Los Alamos National Laboratory. Your host, Lexi Patronis. Written, produced, and edited by Nick Niegomir. Special thanks to Nancy Ambrosiano, Joey Montoya, and Laura Mullane. Find out more about the laboratory and its mission at www.lanl.gov.